first reading will come from 1 Timothy 3.16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. Uh, The second reading is from John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the third reading is from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Uh, the fourth reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption of sons. Then the uh, fifth reading is from John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And the final reading is from Philippians uh, chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thank you. I have to confess that I love a great mystery novel. I love reading them and following the clues through and then at the end understanding the mystery. The novel that has, mystery novel that has sold more copies than any other one is this Agatha Christie's one and then there were none. A hundred million copies of that book have been sold. And so it's one of the most famous mystery novels. One thing I'd never do is go to the last chapter and read it first, or the last page and read it first. But I know some people would do just that. I watched a television program a few weeks back called Under the Cover, and two of the reviewers admitted that they regularly went to the back of the book first and then read the novel. According to the research psychology professor Nicholas Christenfield, spoilers don't spoil a story. They make it more enjoyable. And so I'm going to give a spoiler alert. The greatest mystery of all time is God incarnate. That is the greatest mystery that will ever be. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Behold all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. Now what I want to say right at the start is what I mean by mystery. David Knowles mentioned a couple of weeks back. Um, at the time that Paul wrote some of his epistles, the mystery religions of Paul's day used the Greek word mysterion in the sense of something that was revealed only to a few, to the initiated, only to certain people, only to special people, where these mysteries explain. 
But Paul himself uses it to explain that he's going to talk about something that was formerly hidden or obscure, but has now been revealed by God for all to know and understand. Now, C.S. Lewis placed a great deal of significance and weight to the Incarnation, and he wrote about it a number of times. And in Mere Christianity, he says succinctly, the Son of God became a man to enable man to become sons of God. And just in case you think that Fernie Hill only quotes from C.S. Lewis, which we do regularly, Martin Luther said this, He, Jesus Christ, condescends to assume my flesh and blood, my body and soul. He does not become an angel or another magnificent creature. He becomes man. This is the token of God's mercy to wretched human beings. The human heart cannot grasp or understand, let alone express it. The story is told of a woman who was about to give birth during a power cut. The midwife arrives at the birth, or just about to be before the birth. Because there's no light, she has to give birth, or help deliver the birth with a torch. And the three-year-old girl, youngest daughter, holds the church torch for the midwife. So after some pushing, the baby's delivered, and as usual, the midwife slaps the baby, cries, and therefore is showing to be fine and healthy. After the delivery, the midwife said to the little girl, and what do you think of that? The little girl said, you shouldn't have crawled in there in the first place. Slap him, <laughs> slap him again. While we laugh at that story, it reminds us that as children, that would be a mystery to see a birth. And in some ways, what I'm going to be talking about today is a situation where we are with limited understanding, unable to fully grasp what's happened at the incarnation, how Jesus became human. And that is something that we want to think about today. The very center of the Christian faith is the supreme mystery. That the Word became flesh, as we read. That the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, God participates unreservedly in the same human nature that we ourselves possess. All too often, however, modern Christians view the incarnation with something closer to consternation than wonder. And as a result, they tend to push the grandest of realities from the center to the periphery of their confession. This Christmas season is a good time, is as good a time as ever to review our sense of awe and astonishment at the miracle of the incarnation, to return our confession of the word became flesh to the very center of the, the church's life, worship, and witness. The reason you don't believe in the the incarnation is because you come at it from a different viewpoint. John Lennox, the great apologist, was asked uh, as he was debating with scientists, did he really believe in the incarnation? And he said to the physicist who asked him that question, tell me what you know about consciousness. 
And the scientist said, well, I don't really know all that there is to know about consciousness. I know certain things about it. I can tell you what it's like and how it expresses itself. But I'd have to be saying I would be struggling to explain fully what consciousness is. So John Lennox said to him, well, tell me energy, that subject, your field you must know as a physicist. And the scientist said, well, I know what energy does, and I know what energy can change from one form to another. But explaining what energy fully is all about, I have to admit, that's a problem. And so John Lennox said to him, the reason you believe in consciousness and energy, though you cannot explain very much about what they are, is because their explanatory power you observe scientists say yes that's true that's what I believe and then John Lennox said the exact same is true but of course at a deeper or maybe a higher level with my faith that Jesus is both God and man it's the only solution that makes sense of the evidence of his life and the uniqueness of his claim that he backed up by showing us he possessed the attributes of God. And so I want to talk about these mysteries. And within the incarnation overall, there are four mysteries. First is that eternal God became temporally human. See, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is eternal. He existed from beginning to the end. He's out with time. He is beyond time. He is God. And yet he chose to take on human flesh and to be a temporal human, to have time in his life. To recognize as we are, we're creatures of time. We get up in the morning, we go to bed at night, we look at the watches. We, we are creatures of time. God's not a creature of time. He's beyond time. But Jesus chose to enter our human experience and to take on board what it was to be a creature of time. God is infinite beyond our understanding. And yet Jesus, when he came to this world, limited himself to human body. He took on a space that was a human body. He recognized what it was to be human, to be in human form. Having been infinite, he then limited himself to being in the form of a human being. And as God, he would know all things, but he as the carol we were singing mentioned, he needed to learn. His father taught him how to work in a carpenter shop. He went to the synagogue and learned from the scriptures. There were things that during his life he would learn to do for the first time as a human being. He had that capacity to gain wisdom, although he had come from heaven and knew all things. And yet, that was his desire and he's all-powerful, as God is all-powerful. Yet he chose to become a helpless baby. Can you count your head around that? I can't. How he took on human form. How he could be as helpless as a baby 
the person who had created the universe, who had made the world, who had done everything, he took on himself the limitation of being a helpless infant. He limited his power, although he had never ever gave up his deity. He was fully human, but fully gone. The two are able to coexist, and he was able to be both God and human. Walter Wangeren Jr. wrote an Advent monologue in which he imagines a girl inside a room representing the human condition and the human heart, and God musing outside about how he could reach into the human experience. He writes these words. I could call out her name with love through the walls, but condemnation is all she hears. I could burst down the door and take her into my arms that she might die from here, from fear. I could, of course, ignore the doors and walls and windows, simply appearing before her as I am. I have that capability, but she hasn't the strength to see it and would die. She is, you see it, her own deepest hiding place. And fear and death are the truest doors against me. God had to come as a baby to fully let us experience what Godhead was. He had to come as a baby to enter the human condition, to get past the barriers that we may put up to enter into life with him. So the question you're probably asking yourself, why? Why the incarnation? I think the first reason is, and it was read this morning, because God loves the world. God loves the world. Maybe at Christmas, of all times, we should remember this fact. God so loved the world that he gave us his son. God so loved the world. The verse we preach regularly, but not often enough. We must, must always remember that behind God's story at Christmas is the message of love. God so loved the world that he gave us his son. I think that message is something we need to preach more often. Secondly, I think God wanted to further reveal himself to humanity. Dave last week reminded us. God sent in the Old Testament the Ten Commandments, his law. That was to demonstrate his character and his attributes and to his people, give them a way that they should live their lives. Then he sent them the prophets and they were there to explain some of the laws that God had given and to further reveal himself to his people. But finally... God had to send his son. God had to send his son to reveal himself to humanity. Without that, we would never fully understand God. If you want to know anything about God, you have to look at Jesus. And it's only in Jesus that we see a full revelation of God and his character. It's always in Jesus. And then I think the incarnation is because Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. 
in John 3, verse 17. We don't talk about the cross at Christmas. But if Jesus hadn't come as a baby, he couldn't have died on a cross. So Jesus had to come as a human being in order to die for the sins of the world. And it's a message that we may not preach at Christmas, but it's a message we have to understand that Jesus is coming into the world was to die for the sins of the world. And that's something that we recognize. And then Jesus came into the world to, to prepare humanity for a heavenly destiny. In the reading we read it. When we become Christians, we are adopted into God's family. We are children of God, as C.S. Lewis said. And his coming was to prepare us, to make us for himself, to prepare us for a heavenly destiny. Again, we don't preach that much at Christmas, but it's true. We have a message that we are children of God and we have something to look forward to. And it was because of Jesus coming to prepare us for that human, prepare humanity for that heavenly destiny. And then lastly, for this part, Jesus came to put an end to death and the power of hell. Again, not a message we very often preach at Christmas, but it's important to remember that in Jesus, his death deals with our sin, his rising again, in resurrection, which we'll talk about at Easter time. But it shouldn't be missed out at Christmas. In doing so, he put an end to death. And to the power that the devil had over all of us to fear death. And in doing so, he takes away that power from the devil. So the incarnation is in fact important in us knowing that as a, a, a fact that at Christmas time, Jesus' incarnation reminds us that he came to put an end to death and the power of the devil in the miracle of Christmas, God became a fully human being in swaddling clothes, even as he remained Lord of the universe. When God the Son became incarnate, he entered into the deepest grounds of our human existence to forever live his divine life in our human nature. He did this in order to grant us a life-giving, life-transforming share in his communion with the Father, through the Holy Spirit, the glorious fruits of his reconciling all things in heaven and earth to himself. Let me read that again. In the miracle of Christmas, God became a fully human being in swaddling clothes, even as he remained the Lord of the universe. When God the Son became incarnate, he entered into the deepest grounds of our human existence to forever live his divine life in our human nature. He did this in order to grant us a life-giving, life-transforming share in his communion with the Father through the Holy Spirit, the glorious first fruits of him reconciling all things in heaven and earth to himself. That's the mystery of the incarnation. And at this time of year, we do well to actually contemplate how marvelous it is that we have such a message that Jesus was willing to become a baby for us.
And we have a message that is really important. It's a message at Christmas that we should be so glad about. Of all people, Christians should celebrate Christmas more than anybody else. We have a message that is incredibly important. A message about hope for our ruined humanity. We open our papers and we read the bad news. And we know how ruined our humanity is, but we have hope. We have hope. And at Christmas we should be able to celebrate that hope with each other and with our neighbours and friends. We have hope for peace with God. You see, in the past, because we were sinners, there was always that barrier. That thing that held us up away from having communion with him. But in coming to this earth, the Lord Jesus, by dying for our sins, gives us peace with God. And this year, when you're celebrating Christmas, when you're thinking about the angels saying, peace on earth, remember that's God's peace to you and I, that he came to give us peace. And there's a hope of future glory. As children of God, we've got something to look forward to, something that in the future will be our eternal destiny. Isn't that something to really, really appreciate and love and think about this Christmas? Because we have the most wonderful message the world has or ever will hear. This Christmas, think about the incarnation. Think of the mystery that God has revealed to us. Think of the majesty of the Lord Jesus. And I was really intrigued by Dave's talk last week talking about the king. Because in our wildest imaginations, we wouldn't conjure up a king who came one of us. We wouldn't conjure that up. But God did. God did what we wouldn't dare dream. He did what we couldn't imagine. He became a man so that we could trust him. He became a sacrifice so that we could know him. And he defeated death so that we could follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're on holy ground this morning thinking about the incarnation. We know the story. We understand the significance of Jesus' coming. But sometimes the wonder of it, sometimes the awe, sometimes the glory of it has slipped by. We've become so familiar with the story that we've forgotten just how miraculous, how a wonderful mystery has been revealed to each and every one of us. Father, we want this Christmas to make it different, to make it better, to make it wonderful by just for a while during the Christmas period contemplating the incarnation of Jesus and in his coming. And as ruined sinners, we acknowledge that we need him more and more. Father, we thank you for this time together and we pray you would bless us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.